Okay. As I said, our, our second hour is is starting, but only because I, I want your brains sharp uh, as we finish out um, this uh, this first class. I'm going to take a I'm going to take a little turn on you now. So try and follow me. All right. Um, first off, some quotes from the world. Abdel Aziz al-Rantisi held that the Holocaust never occurred. That Zionists were behind the action of Nazis and that Zionists funded Nazism. Who are Zionists? People who love Zion. Zion. (laughs) What are Zionists? The restoration of Israel. The folks that want to restore the Jewish people to the Jewish land given to them by God. A press release by Hamas in April 2000 decried the so-called Holocaust, which is an alleged and invented story with no basis. Hamas doesn't seem to believe that the Holocaust actually happened. In August 2009, Hamas refused to allow Palestinian children to learn about the Holocaust, which it called a lie invented by the Zionists and referred to Holocaust education as a war crime. Wow, it took them a long time to kind of put this into effect. That's amazing. Yes, sir. What's funny about that is whenever they had the peaceful demonstration of Jewish peace here in Charlotte, like the Palestinians showed up with signs that talked about there being a second Holocaust. So it's like, yeah, how right. can there be a second Holocaust? No one said they were consistent or intelligent. <laughs> I love it when you say Grand Mufti. I mean, it's just, it's just not something I normally hear your average Americans say, Grand Mufti. That's great. Yeah. The Grand Mufti, yeah. Yes, I think you're right about they that. They did have a part to, to play with uh, the Nazis. Yeah, but they're not going to admit that. Right, well, of course not. Right. Exactly. All right, three more. In August 2006, the French press reported that Ahmadinejad had written a letter to German Chancellor Angela Merkel suggesting that the victorious Allied powers in World War II may have invented the Holocaust to embarrass Germany. That's amazing. Yeah. In 2005, the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood, everybody go, bong. All right, I'll try it again. In 2005, the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood, their leader, Mohammed Mahdi Akhef, denounced what he called the myth of the Holocaust in defending the Iranian president Mahmoud Ahmadinejad's denial of the Holocaust, which had happened earlier. Lovely. At the September 2009 Quds Day ceremonies in Tehran, Ahmadinejad stated Israel was created on, quote, a lie and a mythical claim, unquote, that the Western powers, quote, launched the myth of the Holocaust. They lied, they put on a show, and then they support the Jews. Yeah, yeah, oh, from time to time, anyway. Just to say also, in New York, Ahmadinejad also claimed that 9-11 was an American plot. Yeah. 
it's, it's just astounds me the, the denial of the Holocaust. Yes. One thing that, uh, that I became aware of in, in, in studying eschatology in, in Islam is the fact that all of the concentration camps were in Arab hands at the time. Many, many people are aware that there were scores of concentration I had no idea. I thought they were all in Germany. Asia, really? In, in Northern Africa. So they helped and then deny. Now, I want to be sure that we're clear on their denial of the Holocaust. What are they saying? It didn't happen. We're incensed by this. We feel that this is a grave injustice. Okay. Here's two copies of 2 John chapter 7. I beg your pardon. 2 John 7. They're slightly different. I'll read both of them for those that are not with us tonight. The first one says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Yeshua HaMashiach as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. The second one says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Yeshua as coming in the flesh as the Mashiach. This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. The point is denying that he came in the flesh. Which one is what the Bible says? The first one or the second one? Don't you dare open that Bible and check. Wait, wait, wait. Was he examining the scriptures to see if these things are so? You Berean! Which one is true? Which one is what the Bible says? Let me ask you this, since you don't obviously know the answer immediately. Which one do you want to be what the Bible says? Oh, they are very different. How are they different? What does this one say? The first one says, The Messiah has come in the flesh. Okay. He didn't come in the flesh. This is denying that Yeshua came at all. It's not the title in this one. It's that he didn't come at all. What's that one? That he didn't come as the Mashiach. Yes. These are two different things. Which one's the biblical response? It is this one on the top. It's the first one. So, if you deny that the Holocaust ever happened, it physically didn't occur, it is extraordinarily similar to what John is saying about those who deny that Yeshua even came. He never came. Now, I'm going to talk about Ramez. Ramez is a hint. So when I say something, one scriptural passage, it should give you a hint for another. The Master did this all the time. That's why he only gave you one verse. But he expected you to know the entire chapter. He did this a lot from the cross. Not a lot of time to talk anyway. Okay. So... When we talk about something not even happening physically, this is not unique. 
What's going on with the Holocaust is not unique. It happens in the Bible several times. But the greatest one Peter uses. What does he use? What never happened physically? And by denying that it happened physically, you're just denying that God will ever judge the world. The flood. Peter says there are those who say everything's always been the way it's always been. There was never any flood. A flood? No, no, no. There was never any flood. Judgment? Come on. Bah humbug. Yeah. I mean, what have we seen over and over and over again but that God has a patriarch do something and we see right away, oh, his ancestors are going to do the same thing. Abraham goes down to Egypt. Oh, gee, I saw this movie already. Abraham lies about his wife. Oh, his son lies about his wife. You see, we see these over and over and over again. Why? Because God knows we're stupid and we need to see it more than once. <laughs> Same deal. They deny the Holocaust happened. They deny that the flood ever happened. They deny that Yeshua ever came in the flesh. They're denying the work of God. They're denying the history of what has happened. And we need to be the ones to say, in some cases, not just well, wait a minute, you're, you're, the Jesus, the Torah breaker, the new religion thing. Yep, that's not what I believe. That's not what 10,000 Jews believed. Orthodox Jews, by the way. Orthodox, how do I know? There's also a Torah. How do I know? Because they're Orthodox. <laughs> what actions? What does Orthodox mean? I think that's a good question to ask. Come on. They, you know, they believed the, the fundamental scriptures. Handed down. Right? What, what did the Orthodox believers in the Master's Day, what did they do? They showed up. There's a pilgrimage festival and they showed up. They believed the scriptures, they believed God, and they followed the scriptures. They showed up. These are orthodox believers. The non-orthodox believers didn't show up. They're still at home. It's the orthodox believers that showed up. These are the ones that heard the message of the truth that Messiah had come in the flesh. These are the ones. 10,000 orthodox Jews came to know Messiah. Why? Because they showed up. Why did they show up? Because they're orthodox. They're obedient to the scriptures. We, we need to use this truth when we're talking to Jews. Right? You get it? You follow? If they didn't have faith in some way, shape, or form, if they didn't believe God, if they weren't following the Scriptures in some way, they would not have come up. Many did not come up. There was even a question in, in their day. Yeshua, are you going to go up? No. I'm not going to go up right now. I may go up later. He showed, he got, I, it, it almost implies he got there before they did. How did that happen? I don't know. Here's my pearl string from last week. The righteous Shema. 
They hear His voice and obey. And by the way, the word Shema does not just mean hear, it implies obey. So this is all Gentile hooey stuff, you know, to help us along. Yeah, yeah. It's all. We get this from Genesis 22, from John 10, and John 18, and Luke 15. That's a fact. The righteous practice tzedakah. Righteousness. They practice these righteous deeds. What are righteous deeds? Are the ones I've described in the Torah. We get this from Genesis 18, Matthew 9, John 3, Romans 8, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Reward must be given to those who shema or obey his voice. We get this from Job 8, Psalm 58, Proverbs 11, Matthew 10, Matthew 25, and Luke 15. Who fits this description? That was my point from last week. I strung those pearls. Who fits that description? Who do that? Jews. What kind of Jews? The Orthodox Jews. That's undeniable from the Scriptures. How we deal with that in our own theology is a different story. It's a different question. But that's stringing pearls. This becomes undeniable. Now, am I saying that all Jews are saved? Of course not. Am I saying that all Orthodox Jews are saved? Of course not. I'm just saying that these truths are scriptural. This is undeniable. And if we want to pick stuff out of the apostolic scriptures to deny these, then we need to maybe examine the scriptures the way those Bereans did. I'm not making any claims about anybody. I'm just saying who fits this description. Who is it that obeys his commands. Who is it that practiced righteousness as described by the Torah? And we know that they must be rewarded. How is that going to happen? And one thing to follow up with this, it doesn't, in the sense that they're being rewarded, does not mean then that we consider them to have achieved and gained everything that they can. Exactly. It's intriguing to note that as we saw with Paul, where did he go? He went to find these people. That's to right. About the Messiah. That's right. He didn't say, well, they know enough, so I'm they're done. figure it out. Yeah. They're good. Instead, he specifically targeted. I mean, exactly. More so than, than the people who didn't know, he went to the synagogues. He went to the prayer places. That's he right. He went to the debate centers and said, who's already seeking after God, yep. or knows the scriptures, is obeying him, I'm going to tell them about Messiah because they need to know. You bet. That's exactly right. Conversely, Yeshua didn't go to the righteous Precisely, precisely, and we know that that's why we can te- we can tell that some of these guys were righteous because Yeshua Himself said they were righteous. They didn't need to deal with Him. They didn't need a physician. That's exactly right. So again, I'm not trying to make any claims. I'm just trying to say that if we've got theologies that rub against this, we're wrong, not the Scripture. We can't globally say all men fall into this category because there's two types of men in the Scripture. What are those two types of men? No. There's only two categories of men in the Scripture. Jews and non-Jews. I've always wondered why Orthodox Jews want to call me a non-Jew rather than a Gentile. I asked them. You're that much closer to a Jew than a non-Jew. What? Yeah, it's it's really Jew, non-Jew, Gentile. But non-Jews are Gentiles. Yeah. But they're on this side of the Jew. Oh, I didn't know there were signs to that. Really? Okay. I I asked him flat out, is Gentile, is that that like a derogatory thing? I mean, are you you not supposed to call me a Gentile? 
No, I can call you a Gentile. But how come you don't call me a Gentile? Well, you're a non-Jew. Okay. You know, that works. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, 1 John 2, 22. 1 John 2, 22 says, and verse 23, Who is the liar if not the one who denies that Yeshua is the Messiah? He is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son can have the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. So... I'm having a hard time calling orthodox, since orthodox means right opinion. It really doesn't mean that, but oh, what is it? orthodox actually comes from the word to cut. It's to okay. cut straight. Well, people that there's lots of people that do things from the Bible that you know are just doing religion in the flesh, and their hearts have not been circumcised. So I don't think that we can take this piece of the picture and ignore this piece, which I think this is the Orthodox Jew who acknowledges Yeshua and obeys the mitzvah, not the one who denies Yeshua. I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. And what I'm concerned about is I haven't made a claim here. I'm just listing out an incredible amount of Scripture, and you're giving me one verse from the Apostolic Scriptures. So what I want to do is I don't want us to look at the Apostolic Scriptures. I want us to look at the Torah like the Bereans did. I want us to examine the Scriptures. Because I'll tell you what I think. There are two types of men on this planet. Jews and non-Jews. And God treats them differently. And if you don't think He treats them differently, you need to read your Bible. He made a covenant with only one side of them. With the Jew. He didn't make any covenants with non-Jews. So here's the deal. I'm sorry? Yeah, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Right. So what I'm talking about here is that we need to recognize that God has a different kind of relationship with Jews. Did I just say that God saves people differently? No. Did I say there was more than one way to be saved? No. What I said was, God deals differently with these two different kinds of peoples. That's what the scripture teaches. So, in my mind, if I want to know how he's dealing with these, his people, which, by the way, he specifically mentioned in the judgment. Inasmuch as you've done it to these, my brethren, you did it unto me. He puts them in a different, special category. So, what I'm asking you is, of the two apostles that went out, the two major apostles went out evangelizing, which one would you disqualify to quote trying to learn about how God is dealing with His people? Who are the two major evangelists? Peter and Paul. Which one was the, the one who claimed to be the guy going out to the Gentiles? Paul. Paul's not the guy I want to quote if I want to learn about how God deals with Jews. I need to be quoting Peter, if anybody. But first, I need to know what all of the Tanakh says. We need to do what Yeshua did. We need to start with Moshe. We need to look at what the Torah says specifically about those he made an eternal covenant with. Then we need to look at the prophets. Then we need to look at the writings, and those writings include the apostolic scriptures. And I would say we need to look at Yeshua and Peter more than we need to look at Paul. And the uh, Torah, you know, where they deny um, the people at the time, um, 
core of rebellion against Moses, the anointing. Yes. That would be yes. An example of um, what maybe First John is talking about. You know, deny his anointed one. You know, as, and, and the second thing I would say is in the verse that you know Matthew about um, go and learn what this means. He's talking about the people who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do. And he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous but sinners which is a quote from Hosea 6.6, 6, which says, For I desire loyalty and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, and I would say, so I would say you don't really know God without knowing his anointed one. And I think that connects to the first John verse. I think that's how we say that that, that is... Whoa, 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 slow down, slow down. Yeah. I think that's, that's a great point that you, that you raise. That, for, that when the Pharisees are dealing with Yeshua... Yeah. He's always giving them a two-edged sword. He's always sort of patting them right. and backhanding them. Uh, in almost every interaction with them. Yeah. It's, I like what you're doing, but... Bah! And, he, and he tries like to bring saying, them back. But you're a hypocrite. He said in Matthew, not all of them. They... Not all of them. Right, but he said, don't do what they do. He says that in Matthew. Right, so but not all of say, them. Right, not all of them. Right. Just I mean, and, yeah, but not just those two either. Right. I mean, we just need to make sure that yeah. we understand that it was the vast majority of the Pharisees yeah. eventually came that way rather than not, right? But, so I think, I think to your point, he corrects them, yeah. right? He applauds some of their actions and then corrects them. Yeah. And he's constantly going back to the Tanakh to say, hello, don't miss this part, like, you know, with the, with the tithing bit, right? You're tithing this and this and this. That's very cool. Boy, I didn't even ask for that. Holy cow, this little stuff. How are you doing that? Now, wait, but let's, let's not forget these important things. Right? And so he never says, you're wrong to do that. He never says, I'm annoyed that you're doing that. He actually says, this is great. Wow, holy cow. That's great. There's some other important stuff, guys. Let's, let's, let's go there. Right? So... I'm not trying to come to conclusion tonight. I just want to change the way we look at things so that we're not automatically going to the back of the Bible and saying, this is what the Scripture says. I think that's a mistake. I think we should do what Yeshua did. I think we should do what the Bereans did. And I think we should start with Moses. And we should have what he said. And then how it's supported by the prophets. Hosea is great. And then... Eventually, get to the apostolic scriptures. All right, you, then you, and then I guess you, you're up first. Um, and with regards to Paul, I think that... I think it's with regard to, not regard plural. To Paul, yes. Uh, the importance <laughs> Sorry. In, in, uh, in looking at the Tanakh first is not to challenge Paul or to discard him. Right. But rather to understand him. Precisely. Because the danger sometimes is that, and that's just Paul, I mean, the quote earlier is from First John, so we need to understand the whole, the whole scripture in its full context, yes. using the Tanakh as that foundation to say, what culture are they in, what words are they using, when they say this, what are they thinking about? You bet. Then we go back to the Absolute Scriptures and say, okay, well, this is a clarification of the Tanakh, this is sort of weeding out the possibilities that were not correct. This is the correct interpretation of what this Knox already said. You bet. You bet. So, I'm going to come back to that. That's great. Because, I mean, that's exactly what the Bereans did, right? Paul says something, 
Now, you know, we're taking what Paul wrote, and, we, and, we're, and we're starting to look at what Paul wrote. These guys hear what Paul said. They got a sentence. What do they do? Take it out of context. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm talking about the Bereans. They take what he said, and they're right away diving into the Tanakh, starting with Moses. That's what Yeshua did. He started with Moses, started walking. We need to do the same thing. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Good. Well, I think uh, the main thing that we need to be careful of is, is not proof texting. You know, from, from what does that mean, proof texting? How many mean? Mainstream Christianity is taking one scripture in isolation. In particular, what we're talking about is something in the, in the latter half of the book, in the apostolic writings, and building an entire doctrine. On that would be a problem. Scripture. That would be a problem. I would hope that we don't do that here. Right. right? So, but to your point, we're all walking in with baggage, right. and who knows where it came from, whether it started with a little germ out of the apostolic writings, or whether it started from Moses. I mean, we don't know, and I think we need to reevaluate. We need to examine that stuff. Philosophy, but, but the point is... Oh, that that's a good only, point, too. The only predisposition that we should be bringing to the text is the Tanakh that we memorized, to your point. Uh, so that's, that should be the only predisposition that we bring to anything that we read in the apostolic writings. We should be using the whole of the book, all of Scripture, to expound and explicate Scripture. I can't agree with you more. I can just say that I'm an old dog. New tricks are tough. And that is really, really, really hard. But I don't disagree. I'm, I'm just trying to do it in my own life. Yes. I was just going to say, because I've been thinking about this passage in First John a little bit as well. And, and well, which, one, which one are we on? This is just one of the explanations from First John 2, 22. Who is a liar, but he who denies Jesus is the Christ. He is the Antichrist who denies the, son, the, the Father and the Son. And I think when you look at what the Tanakh says about Messiah, number one, that he will fulfill prophecy. Mm-hmm. Number two, that he will walk out the Torah perfectly. Mm-hmm. And then number three, that he is God. That's, that's a biggie. Right. So, you see, what, what is the Antichrist going to look like? Well, for one thing, he's going to deny the Father. Do you know any Orthodox Jews that deny the Father? No. Okay. But it well, says specifically in that verse, I don't mean to cut you off, I'll let you go in a second. It says specifically they need to deny the Father and the Son. It's a combo package. Well, that's yeah, the spirit of the Antichrist. Well, I was, I was going to say that the... Oh, what it says whoever denies the and, and keep keep going. He said, "Denies the Father and the Son." Which which version you got? You're not reading that Jewish Bible thing again. Right? Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Well, what I was going to say is, so you have those three bases for us knowing who Messiah is. Because yes. obviously the Antichrist is coming to deceive us. So what is he going to look like? Number one, he's going to say that he is God. He's going to say that he is all of these things, right. these, these philosophies and everything that we pull out of the apostolic scriptures. Mm-hmm. And he's going to say that he's fulfilled prophecy. But how are we going to know? Because he won't keep the Torah perfectly. That he is an, he's a, an antichrist. He's the lawless one. That's right. And that's so right. that's sort of our, the foundation for knowing Messiah, is knowing what he does. So tell me, are, are you implying something that I think I like? Son-in-law, by the way. Um, that's the other one. Um, are you implying that I should be focusing on identifying the, the anti-Messiah rather than the non-believer? Identifying? I, I get the impression that that's what John is writing about. He's helping me to identify the anti-Messiah. Right. Yes. Although he does say there are many anti-Messiahs. Right. 
That's right. He's, he's saying it's a spirit. And there's a spirit. And to Thessalonians, he goes off. I mean, if, if, you, haven't, if you haven't read Second Thessalonians, I mean, that's the, the quote I gave you um, was, you know, coming off of the Second Thessalonians passage where he's, I mean, it's major. This is the spirit. And that spirit of Antichrist is here now. But he said that in like, you know, 60, 70, 75 AD, you know, of the common era. You know, so it's, it's been around. I mean, so First John is affirming exactly what we're we're saying, actually, because it would seem that the spirit of the anti Messiah is one who throws out the Torah or doesn't acknowledge it within yes. the context of Yeshua being God and fulfilling prophecy. Yes, I agree. Yes. I think a lot of what happens is we we kind of lose. Well, being that we come with baggage, we lose sight of sort of the order, the authority of and of scripture. That you, I mean you did a whole class on it at one point. Okay, this is you know, Torah's definitely you know the foundation, the ground you know, and then we build upon that. And just taking that the whole idea that a couple of specific letters written well after the revelation of Moses, that to say that that has more authority because it comes at a later time that's just a, a, a gross error that, it is a gross error. that many people take, and, yeah. and it's very dangerous when, when coming to in, interpret Scripture. Yes. Especially when he was writing to a specific group of people, and you know, it, that's where context is everything. It's just, uh, sure. That's and, the of the Quran, I believe, is that all the later passages supersede the, the first the ones, right? <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Isn't that backwards? Oh, so Holy cow. Yeah. Yes. In this respect, I think the key is we're not diminishing or downgrading Paul or First John or whatever. Or anybody. The, the difference, though, is I I understand. I use Paul and First John with the with the Torah as my in the context of in the, the context Torah. Context of the Torah. Yes. Then we look at First John. Not as um, not as creating its own ideas, but as fleshing out what is in the Torah. Precisely, that is exactly what we want to do, and we need to do that all the time. So when we make a theological statement, and by the way, I don't have any problem making theological statements. What is theology? Study of God, right? That's what we're doing right now. Okay, and by the way, just to make sure we're all on the same sheet of music. Normally, Alex is odd man out in these arguments and in these discussions. And I want you to know, I side with him better than 60% of the time. It ain't 100%, but I'll tell you what. Of every man in the Zadi class for the past two years, I have got more respect for him. Why? No, that's not why. There's a lot of guys here like your dad that know the scriptures. Why do I have so much respect for him? His walk is good. He sticks to his guns. What? He jacks me up. That is good. He does that. He's willing to learn. I think every guy here is. But you know why? Well, he's not afraid to walk against the norm. He keeps coming back even though he walks against the norm. I tell you what, this man has changed his, his understandings on a whole lot of stuff. But you know what, guys? He had understanding on a whole lot more stuff than most of you did when you walked in the door. 
I just want to make sure we're clear. You want to argue against him, you come through me. <laughs> Enough said. Thank you, brother. <laughs> I love the fact that we can come together and argue this stuff because it makes us better and it makes us wiser in the Scriptures. Now, he knows. I think he jumps to the apostolic Scriptures too soon. He knows I'm willing to give too much of a bite to the Orthodox Jew. That's a great balance. Let's look at the Scriptures. I think God's got a special, unbelievable love for Orthodox Jews that believe His Word, trust that He's going to send a Messiah, and have been dramatically confused by stupid Gentiles. Do they get a buy because Gentiles are stupid? No, I don't think they do. But they may get a buy because he made an eternal covenant with them. How far does the buy go? I have no idea. I really have no idea. You know what I do know? I know what's on that slide right now. But come on. You ought to be able to question it just the way Alex is. The righteous hear his voice and obey. Okay, who's righteous? Are they the ones that practice tzedakah? Well, they definitely do that. But do they really hear his voice? Or are they hearing some other voice? I personally think some of them do hear his voice. So what's the problem? Well, they've got to get a reward. Well, is the reward only here because they're rejecting Yeshua? I don't know. I just know a few truths. He sent one Messiah. He has one Son. And that one Son is divine. And He is the one name under heaven by which all men will be saved, Jew and Gentile alike. That's the bottom line, guys. Now, how are you going to make that work with, a, with an Orthodox Jew who fits this description? He's got to get a reward. Maybe when he stands before his maker, his maker is going to say, what's the matter with you? I don't know. I don't know how it works. All I know is, I got a mission. When I'm talking to an Orthodox Jew, I don't talk about sin. I talk about righteousness. I talk about the need, regardless of our righteousness, of the need for a Messiah. It's as, it's as simple as that. Are you waiting for a Messiah? Absolutely, they say. Is God going to send His Messiah? Soon in our days, from your mouth to God's ears. Okay, good. I don't think the verse that talks about them denying that Yeshua came in the flesh works for them. They don't deny that Yeshua came in the flesh. They simply deny that he was the Messiah. But I've actually got one Orthodox Jew who's willing to say, okay, okay, okay. I give up. All right, he was a good guy. I'll just go so far as to say he's a Tariq. All right? He's a Messiah figure. Cool, we've made some incredible headway. (laughs) Incredible headway. Now, let's move on. Right? Okay, so that's the Jew. What about the Gentile? All bets are off, guys. They weren't given the word of God. They don't have an eternal covenant. They're damned and going to be, you know, they're just, they're lost. Completely lost. And they haven't a clue. We're going to have a class in the next couple of weeks. The heavens declare the glory of God. Why? All men are without excuse. If you turn to the light, you will receive more light. 
Those who seek him shall find him. Well, if that's the case, you know, we don't have to get into election and all that, or, or who's, who's chosen and, and, and who's not. It doesn't matter. We know those truths are true. So, if you want to say the only people that will do that are elect, who cares? You can't know who's elect. They're going to do that. Well, now you need to teach them about God. Because they don't know anything about substitutionary atonement, penal substitution, whatever it is you want to call it. They don't know how to spell Talmud. They don't care about those first three slides. It's a completely different explanation. And we certainly don't want to do what the church has been doing. Warm them into the kingdom. That's warming them right into the fires of hell, I'm convinced. We don't want to welcome them. Yeah. No, we want to make clear. As far as we can tell from the Torah and the Tanakh and the apostolic writings, the wrath of God abides on you. God bless. That's it. Want to do something about that? All right? Are we cool? Do we understand where I'm coming from? All I'm asking is that you understand that this is true from the Scriptures. How you deal with it should be reflected in what you say, how you say it, and to whom you say it. It's as simple as that. Let me ask you this. I've got three Scriptures on the slide, and I'm going to read them. Um, for those who are not with us, Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 10 on the left-hand side. Remember the day you stood before Hashem your God at Horeb, Hashem? The name. name. Okay. Um, We normally read this in a religious context by saying Adonai, which is my great Lord, right? Okay. Uh, Your God at Horeb, when Hashem said to me, assemble the people to me that I may let them hear my word so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. That's your job. You need to do that. You're responsible to do that. Psalm 34.11 Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of Hashem. What do we know from these two scriptures? I have a responsibility to teach my children and that I can learn to fear Hashem. Psalm 78, 5-7. Absolutely wonderful passage. For he established a testimony in Yaakov and appointed a Torah in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God. Well, that sort of explains the whole mindset of the Orthodox Jew. They're just being obedient to Psalm 78. And not forget the works of God, but keep his mitzvot, his commands, and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. This is what they need to do. This is what we need to do. Yes? So, so is keeping the commandments and teaching your, to your children and putting your confidence in God, is that sort of ipso facto preparing your heart and, and making your spirit faithful? I think that's a great question, Jeremy, and I have no idea what the answer to that is. But I think it's a question like that that are the questions, are, are like the questions that we should wrestle with from the Scriptures. And it's, it's a question like that where I would normally start flipping to the apostolic Scriptures, and that's what I'm trying to break the habit of. I want, I want to read that 
and I want to go to the Torah. I want to, I want to string some pearls. I want to do that romance, right? I want to look that up and see. Well, it sounds like this was written to Jews. Yeah. It sounds like they, those in the covenant that would now include you, have a responsibility. If you're not teaching your children the word of God, shame on you. You should be teaching your children that they can put their confidence in God. Amen? Who else should they put their confidence in? Themselves? This is going to sound really cheesy, but I did this other day. Nerdy, very nerdy. I love cheesy. <laughs> I went through and uh, I went through one of my old Bibles where I put a little red tab every time there was a summary within, oh. within the Bible of the great deeds of Hashem. Uh-huh. Cool. Yeah. Rehearsing the mighty deeds of our God. Because that oh. is part of oh. That's it. this vote. You know, there's a testimony of his mighty deeds as we obey. So, That's great. Yeah, and it's really been a blessing to go through that and to see. And then Acts 7 was in there, of course. Yeah. And obviously these earlier portions as well. To what a great thing to take yeah. Luke through. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh. Yeah. So, that's why it's a neat thing to do. I had a Bible that I was color coding. You know, so the light blue highlighter, you know, was the deeds, you know, right, right, and you know, and the yellow, you know, right, that kind of deal. So, you know, if you want to, if you want to do a thematic study, you've got a color coded or tabbed or something like that. That's a great idea, guys. This, this is what it's all about, right? You know, we need to know the word and we need to teach the word to our children. And if you don't have children yet, that means you've got more to learn. Keep storing it up, write it down, so when and if God should bless you with children, you're prepared to teach. And until that happens, teach mine. There you go. And he's got some, too. And he's got some. And he, oh, you don't have any. All right? Was this cool? This is cool, isn't it? Is this great? This, does this make you want to teach your children, be responsible, know the Word of God? I mean, I, I just think it's great. I don't know what I just did here, but I'm, I'm bleeding, so... All right. Now, finally, for the last three minutes of the class, um, yeah, let's talk about blood. Um, I, I'm going to ask you just to kind of go around the room. I've got uh, a dozen. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three. <laughs> Look at that. Okay. So, um, would everybody just you know pick down the road? Boom, 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 boom. Just pick in order, right? And they don't go left to right, guys. They go down and then down. All right. So just pick each one, and then I'll come around the room and we'll, uh, we'll read these. Whoever gets the Deuteronomy thing, try and do that robustly. Um, start here at Johnny. He's got Genesis 9.4, Exodus 12.7, Leviticus 3.17, and just go around the room and see what we got. What did I pull off my nose? That Gee, Wes. I cut, no, I... Uh, I cut myself, uh, cut myself shaving a couple of weeks ago and, and actually almost missed an appointment um, to pray um, because I was bleeding so bad. It was very, it was very embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. That's, thank you, Johnny. You tried to help me out there. Some of us more vessels. That's right. More vessels than others. All right. So. Um, Genesis 9. Yeah. The, the, the point is, though, I didn't eat the blood. So uh, we're good. So, yeah. 
Genesis 9.4. Give me that. What's Genesis that say? Right now, I, know, I know you're still looking for your verse. So, have you found your verse? Yes. I have many. You have many. Good. So, if you found your verse, then you can listen to the man who's reading the verse, because I want you to get the whole thrust. All right, are we ready? Go ahead. Genesis 9.4. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. Must not. Not should not. Oh, yeah, no hide laws. That's what that is. Thank you, Peter. That's good. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses, wherein they shall eat it. Eat the Passover meal, Eat the Passover, not the blood. Really? Is that, is that what I put there? Is that Exodus 12 7? Exodus 12 7. Huh, okay. It is to be a permanent regulation through your generations, wherever you live, that you will eat neither fat nor blood. Neither fat nor blood. Is that uh, David Stern's Happy Jewish Bible? Is that what that is? Yes, sir. Just checking. Okay. Micah six thirty. But no sin offering shall be eaten from which any blood is brought into the tent of meeting to make atonement in the holy place. It shall be burnt up with fire. Mm-hmm. Leviticus 7.26, you are not to eat any blood, either a bird or animal, in any of your dwellings. How about that? Now we got the bird and the animal. So I remember from yours was the must, and from yours you're not to. Good. Yes, sir. Leviticus 10.18, since its blood was not taken into the holy place, you should have eaten the goat in the sanctuary area, as I commanded. Hmm. So because the blood was not handled properly for the sacrifice... We got to eat this in a different place. So the blood definitely has some consequence. Leviticus seventeen ten to fourteen. Any man of the house of Israel and of a proselyte who dwells among them. All right, now we got to stop, and I got to make sure I get this in my head. So, so uh, what? The JPS Stone Edition. Yeah. Okay. All right. So. Then you guys Stone. Okay. So real quick, uh, for, the, for the uninitiated, why does his version have proselyte when the word is probably gear? Because it's a Jewish publication. Because it's a Jewish publication. Yeah. And if it's a gent, it's goy, is Gentile, right? But gear. Yeah. And so if he's sojourning and he's in there and he's responsible now for the Torah, well, then he must have made ritual conversion. And now we can call him a proselyte. My Torah. Yeah, ridiculous, right? So, um, maybe you could read your version again, because I think this, this applies to both the Jew and to the Ger. All right. Any man of the house of Israel and of the Ger, maybe, uh, who, dwells among them will, who dwells among them who will consume any blood, I shall concentrate my attention upon the soul consuming the blood, and I will cut it, cut it off from its people. For the soul of the flesh is in the blood, and I have assigned it to for you upon the altar to provide atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that atones for the soul. Therefore I have said to the children of Israel, any person among you may not consume blood, and the Ger who dwells among you may not consume blood. Any man of the children of Israel and of the Ger who dwells among them, who will trap a beast or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. For the life of any creature, its, its blood represents its life. So I say to the children of Israel, you shall not consume the blood of any creature, the life of any creature is its blood. Whoever consumes it will be cut. Not unlike the way the Torah uses multiple verses to bring you to the middle 
in, a, in sort of a chiastic poetry structure. Um, I'm thinking that's exactly where I want you to be when we finish these. I want you to recognize that God will concentrate His attention on anybody who eats blood and that you actually cause all kinds of problems with regard to substitutionary atonement and what we looked at in the first three slides when you eat blood. Because you see the blood, God thinks atonement. You eat the blood, God wants to concentrate on you, cut you off and smack you down. In some fashion. 1926, you shall not eat anything with the blood or practice uh, divination or soothsaying. Ooh, now we've got a joining, right? So we're going we're gonna to do that stringing of the pearls and look at the position and go, oh my, the guy who eats the blood, now I've got the soothsaying witchcraft deal, now I can jump to some witchcraft stuff and go, look what happens over here. This seems to be a bad idea. Am I, is everybody agreed? It's a bad idea. Okay, what do you got? You got the long one, right? Selected verses. Selected verses from Deuteronomy. <laughs> You're not reading. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with this Bible. <laughs> 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 There's very little. Didn't I buy you a Tanakh? No, I bought you a Chumash. There is a Chumash in the house. Yeah, yeah. That you chose this was that. Readily available. Readily available. Yeah, I know what to. <laughs> I know what to tie around your neck. Tanakh on wood. Let's just go ahead. To knock on wood. <laughs> Go ahead, Seth. Don't eat the blood, pour it out on the ground like water. Just take care not to eat the blood, for the blood is the life, and you are not to eat the life with the meat. There, there you will offer your burnt offerings, the meat and the blood, on the altar of Adonai, your God. The blood of your sacrifices is to be poured out on the altar of Adonai, your God, and you will eat the meat. Just don't eat its blood, but pour it out on the ground like water. For those who are not familiar with reading the Torah, is there anybody confused yet? I mean, I mean are you getting what God thinks about this? Okay. That's great. Easy. Excellent. You don't have to get into these explanations about that's not really the husband you're going to want one day because of all these carnal reasons. This is in the Bible. Don't eat blood. First Samuel 14. All right. Now, for those that are paying attention, we just went through the Torah. Now we step into the Nevi'im, the prophets. I want to make it clear that we just we just came across a theological truth. Don't miss it. Boom, 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 
Torah said, don't eat the blood. Now the prophet makes it clear, if you eat the blood, it's sin. There should be no question. God said don't, you do, it's sin. Who defines sin? Who else? Nobody. That's it. Well, if I eat chocolate, it's really a sin. Really? Well, it's a sin for me. It may not be for you. No! It may be stupid for you. It may be unwise for you, but it's not a sin. Okay. Sorry. It's a little pet peeve. Sorry. Go ahead. Nice hat, by the way. Please. Okay, now, we, now, now notice we're now moving. We, we're moving. We went from the Torah. We had one reference from the prophets. And now we're going to the writings. Oh, we got, I got another uh, prophet coming later. Good, please. All right, Psalm 50, 13. Will I eat the flesh of blood? Uh, 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 will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Well, yeah, will you? Okay, good, good, all right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and now back to the prophets. Honestly, <laughs> no. Well, it was a rhetorical question, and why would it be rhetorical? And le- yeah, okay. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord God, You eat meat with blood, you lift up your eyes toward your idols, and shed blood. Should you then possess the land? Okay, so um, here we've got the prophet rebuking the people, and he's naming three things. You're eating the blood, you're shedding blood, murder, okay, and and, and idolatry, you're practicing idolatry. Uh, Should you go back? No. Should you get kicked out? Yeah. That's, that's the deal. Okay? Alright, so in trying to practice what I'm preaching, I have given you various scriptures having to do with consuming blood. I started with the Torah. I gave you some from the prophets and from the writings you should now be able to draw a conclusion. Now I think it's safe for you to go into the apostolic scriptures and look at what Paul or John or Peter or even the Master says about blood and you will therefore already now have it in its proper context. When Paul says, all food's okay to eat, no big deal, could he possibly mean you can eat whatever you want? That sounds amazingly like the devil in the garden. So we should be able to have it in context. However, that's not my point tonight. My point is, what are you going to do about this? Because I think there's two ways to go when it comes to meat. So Pete and I went out for dinner the other night, and we both got steaks. We both got real big steaks. They were really big and good steaks. But I noticed that Pete got his medium well, and I got mine medium. Because I can't stand it when they cook it so much that I might as well just take my shoe off and eat that. Yeah. If I'm going to pay for the meal, I want the meal, you know. But I did notice that it was a juicy steak. His didn't seem to be that juicy. Mine was pretty juicy. Now, I ask you, was it juicy or was it bloody? Hold that thought. Now, 
So I think there's two ways to look at the meat issue in your life. And I'm, I'm just going to give this to you and then we're, we're going to call it a night. Right? So here's, here's one way. You do the best you can to make sure that it's cooked enough so there's no blood. Now the question is, on this side, is it possible? Is it possible to cook out all the blood? You know, the Orthodox never say you can eat whatever meat you want as long as you cook it enough. The Orthodox never say that. The sages never say that. It's not enough heat will do it. When you kill the animal, you need to drain the blood. God said, pour the blood on the ground. Get the blood out of the animal. Now you can go cook the animal. There's no biblical example that if we cook it long enough, we'll get all the blood out. So it may sound very pious to order it as well done. But it's not biblical, is it? Now, that's one way. Another way along those same lines would be salt all your meat. It draws out the, all the fluids, turns it into beef jerky, and you know, there you go. Right, I'm going to leave you on that side. What's the other choice? No, 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 no. You you buy the meat that's been properly prepared by someone who's trained to follow the commandments of God. Now I can tell you right now, if you want to get that in this town, you got two choices. One, you go to Gleberman's, pay out the nose for meat that, according to my wife, is not always that good. Option two, you do what several of the Orthodox Jews in this town that I know do. You buy it from New York and have it flown in. Oh, my goodness. Well, let's see. Make the mortgage payment by meat. Okay, so we, you know, it's a pasta meal again, you know. I, I, think, I think those are the two choices that come to mind. So comments, and then we'll see if there's some other choices aside from don't eat meat. To me, not an option. Just to throw out there that my wife has discovered a quite a good selection of kosher meat and cheese at Trader Joe's. Ah. And it is reasonably priced. All right, there we go. It's, it's okay, there's one. Now, we already know that if we buy kosher meat at uh, Costco, it's possible, or at Harris Teeter now, I've noticed, it is possible that when you open it up, it says it's kosher slaughtered, and it'll sell it, say it's, it's halal butchered. That's your problem. Right? So that's a different issue now, right? We've got to have a different class on that. That's meat that's been slaughtered presumably the same way, but it's been presumably, I mean, they would claim, sacrificed to idols. All right? Um, I think I got you, then you, right? Yes? I just wanted to append on to your food for thought, as it were. No! <laughs> it's a knock on wood, food for thought. This is great. Yes? Um, what happens when you bite your tongue? You know, what or, happens or something you pick your, or poke your, your finger. I have the same question. Ex- exactly. You, you like old? if somehow <laughs> if it's some I'm okay, I'm okay with that. Okay. And I think the scripture is clear there. It's the blood, not your blood. Okay. It's always the animal's blood. It's never your blood. So I think we're okay with that. But that's a good point, and it's great. Great. And I was like, Whoa! yeah. It's sort of a denial, but I just wanted to say that it's always safe to be a vegetarian. I mean, you can eat fish. 
fish. Pescatarian. Fish. Fish. You don't have to be concerned. What did you call that? Pescatarian. 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 Yeah, I know what it's from. Yeah, yeah I just never heard it. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Pesci, yeah. There's vegetarians who eat fish. Yeah, that's very cool. Yes. Okay. So, again, you know, God gave me teeth to cut and tear meat, and I'm going to do it, baby. That's all there is to it. All right. It doesn't count. That actually doesn't count. If you look at one of the verses we read, I think the one that I read, actually, it said birds and animals. Yeah. Yeah, so the fish are, fish are okay. Yeah, their, their blood doesn't count. Okay. Any other comments? Well, I would like to say, you did mention the salt issue. I did. Technically, Orthodox kosher meat is salted. Yes. So it, it, as, a, as an extra over-the-top type measure in case, you know, the last drop didn't come out or it didn't hang long enough, be, we're going to be guaranteed. Kosher slaughter is about more than just blood. They're also dealing with what fats you can eat. They're dealing with the sciatic nerve. Nerve, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the last portion, the yeah. Of the disease, and the pain and the I think from what I understand, also do with the pain of the animal and right. Um, and whether or not the animal is healthy to be yeah, eaten. Because that's what the deal is like. If the animal is basically going to die anyway, well, now you've got a problem with a different command. Exactly. So that, the, yeah. the kosher issue goes beyond that. Yeah. The, um, yeah. The amazing thing, if I can jump in real quick, is... I have to confess, and I can only confess this before you because I know most of you were in the same category. Um, I actually thought the Hexer seal, you know, the K or whatever letter it is these days, just meant that the rabbi blessed it. And I know he didn't do that. But um, for those at home, that was a uh, genuflecting. Um, I, always, I thought it was just blessed by the rabbi, and that's why it cost more. But that's not even close to the case. Good, yeah. But I'm just saying, that, I, mean, I think that the, um, there may be potentially, I don't know, I think it's worth investigating further because there are... What is? Uh, the, whole, the whole issue of shakita or ritual slaughter and understanding exactly what it's done, why it's done, and its effect. Because the scripture is very clear, you don't eat blood... But interestingly enough, aside from dumping the blood out on the ground, there really isn't a specific explanation on how to do that. So I think the Jews do a good job at it, but if you do decide that you're going to go only kosher on meat, that wipes out every restaurant in town. It, there's so, no question you can no longer... Decision. Yeah, you can no longer eat out. That you need to Ever. do a lot of research on before you necessarily decide. Yeah. Now, I, I want to be clear... That's no reason not to do it. No, not at all. Right? Just because it's going to be now inconvenient, that has no bearing on what we should do. There are lots of good fish restaurants. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I just wanted to get this conversation started. We're not done with it. We're done for tonight. But I would hope that based on what we just read around the room, you would stop and think. If you're going to be so careful to keep his commands, because you realize you should, that you should be obedient to God, not for any salvific or uh, change or anything like that, strictly because it demonstrates your love for him. Because he said, if you're one of my covenant people, you're going to do this. Whether you're a Jew or a Gare, you're going to do this.
It's one law for all of you. It really is kind of hypocritical to kiss my mezuzah on the way out and go and have a cheeseburger that's dripping blood all over the place. Cheeseburger. Good point. A hamburger. <laughs> we, we, the separation deal is yet another class. So, all right. So there, there we go. All right. Excellent class, gentlemen. Thank you for your attention and for your diligence in taking what we discuss and employing it in your life. We hereby join ourselves to the Master, Yeshua, the Messiah, the Righteous One, who is the bread of life and the true light, the source of eternal salvation for all those who hear Him. Ah, hear. Like a branch that remains in a vine, so we so may we remain in Him, just as He also remains in the Father and the Father in Him, in order that they may remain in us. May the grace of the Master, Yeshua, the Messiah, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit abound to each of us and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I love you, gentlemen. Thank you.